for reading the scriptures for us this morning. As they read, you may thought have thought, really, that's the text we're, we're going to look at this morning? Yeah, that's the text we're going to look at from Genesis 5. So let me encourage you to... Uh, open up your Bibles if you haven't found it yet, Genesis 5. And as we get there, it's just a reminder as those kids read that church is not a place, it's a people. A people who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus. And a people who have placed their faith in Christ, the solid rock upon which they're building their life, as we just declared in song, and then a people who are committed to learning from the scripture. So uh, I wanted us to, be, to remember that though we're not in the same room, we are together, uh, whether it's from those who gave us their greeting from their homes, from Todd, who was in that vineyard, and I believe Todd's one of our commended missionaries. I believe he was in Germany when uh, he was in that vineyard, and now our kids in all their different homes reading the scriptures together. So we are a people being together and learning together. So uh, what do we take from this genealogy in Genesis 5? Well, before we can take anything from it, I think we have to ask the question first, is it reliable? So in answer to the question, is this genealogy reliable? Here's some evidence that I think we can have that would suggest, yes, it is reliable. First, in terms of the reliability of this genealogy, it is identical to the genealogy recorded in 1 Chronicles and Luke chapter 3. So three places, Genesis 5, 1 Chronicles 1, and Luke 3, this exact order is given. So I, I believe there's good reason to find this reliable because... Uh, Moses is understood to have, read, uh, have written Genesis 5, Ezra, 1 Chronicles, and Luke, the Dr. Luke. So well, what's interesting to me about that is these guys would have been separated by hundreds of years when they had written these. Uh, probably a thousand years between Moses and Ezra and another 500 years between Ezra and Luke. So three genealogies separated by 1,500 years in authorship and they're the same. That seems reliable. Second... The second to last book of the Bible, just one chapter, Jude, Jude places Enoch, who is in this genealogy, as the seventh generation, just like Moses did in Genesis 5, just like Ezra did in 1 Chronicles 1, and just like Luke does in Luke chapter 3. So Jude also, in understanding this authentic, reliable genealogy, places Enoch as the seventh generation. Third reason, I think we can have... Uh, confidence in the reliability of this genealogy is that the passage follows an exact pattern and gives precise numbers. This is not random at all. If you followed along, you noticed it gave their name, then how old they were when they had their first son, their first son's name, and then how long they lived after they had their first son, and then the fact that they had many other sons and finished with, here was their total number of years. It's that pattern repeated with precise numbers for 10 generations. But maybe most compelling to me in recognizing how, uh, even though over all these generations this could be really accurate, is this. 
when you take that pattern and precise, here's a chart that shows us. Starting with Adam, finishing with Noah. Showing how long each lived. 930, 912, 905, 910, 895, 962, mm, 365. That's unusual. We'll talk about that. And then 969, 777, and 950. That's laying out in terms of when each was born and how many years it covers. But here's what I find most remarkable about that. This is when Adam dies, 930 years. If you trace it down, he is alive when Lamech is born. Follow that with me. He is his great, 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 great grandson. Eight generations are alive at the same time. That's phenomenal to me. In case you lost the number of greats there, Adam was alive when his great, 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 great grandson, Lamech, was born. Six greats, a grand, and a son. Eight generations. And in case you're not tracking again because these names are new to you, that means Adam was alive when Noah's father was born. See, I've titled this, uh, Unusual Times Bring Invaluable Lessons. And part of our getting our head and our heart around this genealogy to learn from it is recognizing these times are so unusual based on what we experience. I thought about the fact that I knew my father and my grandfather. If I was alive when my great-grandfather was still alive, I don't ever remember meeting him. You think about your situation. You probably knew your dad. Maybe you knew your grandfather. Maybe some of you knew your great-grandfather. But it would be the super rare exception that you would know your great great grandfather, let alone your great, 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 great grandfather. You see, it's, it's just hard for us to put into perspective how this people would have still been connected and would have known, not just by hearing, but would have known because they were still alive all of these generations, eight generations that cross over here. All right, so in gaining perspective, let's understand this. The average recorded lifespan prior to the flood, if you take Enoch, the unusual, which we'll talk about in a moment, if you take him out because he is radically unusual, 911 years. The average perspective now, again, some of you, like me, I could hardly get past 
thinking through all the implications of this, but we're going to get past that. If you're bored out of your mind already by numbers and stuff like that, hang on. We'll get to real life practical application in 2020, but at least allow yourself to understand that were that be the true today, the oldest people in our congregation would have been born in the 1100s. What? They would have been alive long before William Wallace, the iconic Braveheart. In fact, they would have hit their midlife crisis during the Protestant Reformation of Martin Luther. That's their midlife crisis, you know, about 450, 500 years old. I'm hitting my midlife. See, I can't imagine going to church with somebody who had been born in the 1100s. That's getting some perspective. Some of you are watching, can't remember life before the iPhone. (laughs) Craziness. So, 911 years was the average age. And because I believe the reliability of this genealogy, that it wasn't the best they could remember, I genuinely believe the, the flood occurred 1,656 years. If you just trace it out, 1,656 years after Adam and Eve out of the garden. So that gives me some perspective of where the flood relates, what we'll see in the coming weeks where it relates to where we've been in Genesis. This blows my mind. Methuselah and actually Lamech were alive during the time of Adam and Noah. In other words, they lived when Adam was still alive and they lived when Noah was alive. They knew the man it all started with and they knew the man that it almost all ended with. What a bridge. So that gives us some perspective. Now, uh, in the midst of this, there is a man who, living in these very unusual times, unusual to us, that gives us some invaluable lessons. I've called him Enoch the Unusual. And here's what's unusual about him. I want us to go back and and look at Genesis 5 again and read specifically about Enoch. And as we read about Enoch, I want you to try to identify yourself. What is it that makes him so unusual in relation to everything else that is said about the 10 generations that surround him? Verse 21, Genesis 5 says this. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. It's the only time that the pattern gets broken. 
It's the same for everybody else except for Enoch. So what's unusual about him? Well, at least these three, these three things recorded in Genesis 5. First, Enoch was unusual in this, that he alone is identified as walking with God. Now, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting he's the only one in these 10 generations who did. I'm saying he's the only one identified who does. He walks with God. Kind of reminiscent of what we saw in Genesis 1 and 2 prior to sin, where the Lord walked in the garden. And we have the idea that prior to sin, as he walked in the garden, he walked with Adam and Eve. Enoch walked with God. But I wonder if you, if you notice this. It seems it's the birth of his son to have led him to beginning to walk with God. Now, I've read this passage lots of times, and it was only in looking at Genesis 5 and Enoch, the unusual, closely this time, that I went, ah, oh, I never looked at the exact language there. So, so go back with me. Then, this is right after verse 21 identifies that he had become at age 65 the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he had become the father of Methuselah. It's not airtight, but it suggests that this unusual reality of Enoch that is identified only by him in these early generations, that he walked with God, that it started after he became the father of Methuselah, that, that he became the father, and something happened. There may be some hints in what he named Methuselah. You, you might call him the missile man, the bullet man. It would seem that when Enoch named Methuselah, God had revealed to Enoch what was coming, and that Methuselah, if you trace it out, died the year the flood occurred. So, who knows? I am clearly now, right now, so you understand the difference between what the scripture clearly says and what we might think. Uh, what I'm thinking is that God revealed to Enoch about a coming judgment with the birth of his son by what he named him. And about when he died. That may or may not be true. What I do know is it says this. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. So it seems that his walk with God began there. My point is what does it mean to walk with God? Well, when you go to Hebrews... It references, Hebrews 11 references Enoch. And it says, he, speaking of Enoch, obtained the witness that before his being taken up, 
he was pleasing to God. And then the author of Hebrews, next verse, verse 6, identifies what he means by the fact that he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So what's it saying about Enoch? It's saying he had faith. Because Enoch was pleasing to God, without faith you can't please God, so Enoch obviously had faith. Faith what? That he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So Enoch was a man who walked with God. In other words, he had a walk of faith. So what's faith? Well, the chapter Hebrews 11 began by defining faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see where I'm going with Enoch? An assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, sometimes we make faith complicated, and it's not complicated. Faith is actually pretty simple. Faith is the is certainty, it's assurance, it's confidence without seeing. That's faith. I'm certain even though I have not seen. And so I want us to understand that when we talk about faith in God and faith in Jesus and faith in the death of Jesus, faith in the resurrection of Jesus. We are talking about something that we are certain of, even though we didn't see it. Blind, uh, Christian faith isn't blind. It's not blind. I, I hate when people go, well, it's just a blind faith. It's not a blind faith. Faith isn't blind. Uh, see it this way. Uh, it sees, it's not blind, it sees with certainty. What? What has been revealed? It's just not yet visible. Can something be real and not visible? Go stand in the wind. That's what Jesus said to a guy who was struggling. Look at the wind. Can you see it? No. You can only see what? Its effects. So I can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. I believe, I have faith in what the scripture has revealed, though it's not yet visible to me. Let me apply. See, I believe in creation. Not because I was there to see it. I believe in it because this book reveals it. I have certainty that God created this world. I am certain it didn't just happen with a big bang. I am certain what has been revealed. I don't have to have seen it for it to be true. That's faith. Certainty without seeing. <clears throat> Did Jesus of Nazareth exist? I never saw him. But this book reveals uh, that he did. 
And this book reveals that he not only existed, but that he was the son of God. I believe it. I'm certain of it. Because the scripture has revealed it, not because I've seen it. His death, his burial, his resurrection, I didn't see any of it. There are those who did. But you know what Jesus said? Blessed are those who believe and didn't see. Why? Because faith is certainty without seeing. Not a blind faith, a revealed faith that's not yet visible. Do you believe in heaven? I do. Not because I've seen it, but because it's revealed. And I'm certain that heaven is a real place and going to be a real experience. See, that's faith. And Enoch, the unusual, gives us invaluable lessons in unusual times. And that is that you and I can be like him and have a walk with God by faith. Enoch did. You can. You can have a walk with God by faith. But understand this. Faith has a beginning point in every person's life. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. As I read that again this morning in review, I was like, ah, that, I'm not saying that every person will have faith. I'm saying for every person who does have faith, it has a beginning point. I've surmised from Genesis 5 that Enoch's beginning point was with the birth of his son, Methuselah. I could be wrong on that, but that's what the text seemed to suggest. But I'm absolutely certain that to have faith in Jesus, it has a beginning point. No one has believed in Jesus. Maybe they've believed about Jesus for as long as they've known, but no one has believed in Jesus their entire life. There was a, a point in time, if you believed in Jesus, where you didn't and then you did. You weren't walking with God and then you began to walk with God. Maybe you have a distinct recollection of when years began. Maybe it was with the birth of a child. Or maybe it was at another crisis, big moment in your life where you were faced with the reality that there is something bigger in life than just me and what I can see. And you didn't just pick something to believe in. You, you saw what was revealed in the scriptures by God through his spirit recorded for us. And you believed that your sin made you guilty before God, but that God had given his son perfect without sin to take our penalty. And you went from not believing in Jesus to 
believing in Jesus. Or maybe you haven't. You see, I have a concern that there are too many in our current day who when asked about, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? The response is more of a casual, yeah, I've always believed in God. I've always believed in Jesus. And Enoch is the reminder. There's a beginning point for each person who does believe. Colossians 2 says it this way. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. See, it defines a point where we receive Jesus. Meaning what? Meaning that we admit that we're guilty, but that we believe that Christ paid the penalty and that we could not earn it. We could only because eternal life and forgiveness is a gift where we receive it. And it's at that point that you begin to walk with God. You cry out to him and he becomes your savior. And as he becomes your savior, you now, having begun to walk with him, you learn to walk with him. And I love I love this picture of walking with God because the prophet Joel says, two do not walk together unless they agree. And I relate to that because really about the only person I walk with is my wife. And she would know I don't usually really like to walk. Now, I do walk because she likes to walk, so you don't need to email me and tell me I should walk because my wife likes to walk. I know that. And I often do it. Not always. But I walk with her. But we only walk together if we agree. You know what the agreement is? We're walking for relationship, not for exercise. Because when she walks for exercise, she walks so fast. And I'm like, let's either walk or run. Let's not do this in between junk because it hurts my hips. Well, I know that sounds weird, but it's the truth. So we, we walk for relationship. And we kind of agree on, therefore, the pace, where we're going to walk, how long we're going to walk. Are we walking three miles or are we walking out to Fruit Cove Road and back? Because that's where I'm thinking. Out to Fruit Cove Road and back. Or we're going to walk down that side street. We're going to walk down that side street. But we're not going to walk the whole way down to Celebration and back. If you want to walk down to Celebration, you can walk down to Celebration and back. We two don't walk together unless they agree. So if you walk with God, what's the agreement? Here it is. He bought me. He redeemed me. He saved me. He's the leader. As the forgiver, he's the leader. He determines the pace, the distance, and the duration. That's when you walk with God, you walk by faith. Well, where are we going? Just walk with me. How long are we going to be there? Just walk with me. How fast are we going to go? Walk with me. The agreement in walking with God is you're the leader. Enoch did it for 300 years. I want to invite you, if you've never begun a walk with God, just understand you need a beginning. And if you have begun, keep walking. As you received him, how? By faith, walk by faith. 
And here's the final thing, and we'll move on from Enoch walks with God. That growing in faith is not having bigger faith, but having faith more frequently. Now, uh, that's a lot to explain, of which I will in a few weeks. When we get to Enoch's, uh, let me remember, great, I think it's his great-grandson, Noah. When we get to his great-grandson, Methuselah, Son, grandson. Yeah, great-grandson. When we get to Noah, we'll see that faith is not about having bigger faith, not having more faith, but having faith more. Because that's what we see in Noah. But it begins with a walk with God. And then it continues as a walk with God. So Enoch, the unusual, is that he walked with God. It seems it started with the birth of his son. Second, the 365 years given to Enoch are the equivalent to 30 years in our day that he was taken before Adam's son, Seth, died. I won't take us back to the chart, but if you, you can Google it a little easy, you find the chart, you'll see Adam's son, Seth is still alive when Enoch dies. Crazy. It reminds me that when you do the comparisons, the ratios of how long people lived then and when Enoch died and how long people live now, that he would have died as a 30-year-old. Now I say died, we'll talk about that in a moment. Taken up, been gone at 30 years old. What's funny to me is in our day, if someone's gone at 30, we consider that tragic. But very few people who have read Genesis 5 think Enoch's situation is tragic. They think, man, he got off good. So what do you take from that? Well, first... His days, my days, your days, numbered by the Lord. And if his days were numbered by the Lord, and my days are numbered by the Lord, and your days are numbered by the Lord, uh, that is not license for being irresponsible, but it is freedom from fear of death. And I know I've talked about this a number of times in recent weeks, but I see it and I want us to understand people of God who have believed in Jesus, who have faith in the certainty, even though we don't see it yet, the faith in the certainty of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that because we are in Christ and our days are numbered, we do not need to fear death. We should be radically different in our aspect of our perception and our approach to death. And sometimes I think we've gotten caught up in the loss and we've gotten caught up in this fear of death that we do not need to, as believers, as ones who have faith in the one who is life, the resurrection and the life. Is it grieving without a 30-year-old 
who trusts in Jesus is taken. Or a 12-year-old or an 18-year-old. It's grieving to those who miss them. But it is an absolute, totally different story when we think about where they are and who they are with. See, I want to ask, I genuinely want to ask you, does your view of death reflect faith in God? Does it reflect there is no fear? There is confidence of what the scripture says about how death has lost its sting. Death is always a win. Always a win for those who walk with God. And so I want to encourage us in a time of COVID-19 when fear of death and fear of sickness is pretty rampant and talked about a lot. When we get death statistics every day in an update, state by state, according to this disease, let's not be caught in the current of fear. Let's be confident in the certainty of what has been revealed. That those who have walked with God will walk with him forever. No fear death. No fear of death. No reason to fight death. As my good friend John said, I will not battle cancer. I'm not going to battle the instrument of God that he is using to prune me, to grow me, and to prepare me to be with him forever. I know that sounds weird. And you may be like, oh, I'm not sure I can jump in with that, Doug. I understand. There was a reflection of maturity of a man who walked with God when he said, I will not battle that which is preparing me to walk with God for all eternity. See, there's a perception that somehow we still are afraid of death when we have no need, regardless of when it takes place. For Enoch, he was and he was not at what you and I would relate to as a 30-year-old. Pretty unusual, but a reminder, your days are numbered by the Lord. And if you will trust in Jesus, you need not fear whatever number that is. You can look forward to it, whatever the number is. If your kids have trusted in Jesus, you need not fear their number. You can trust the Lord with their number. Do you hear that? Because there were those, many, who still lived when Enoch was taken. And it was early, comparatively, at 365. Don't fear. No matter the number, trust in the Lord. That's a walk with God. Okay, third unusual. And this is what gets often the most attention from Enoch. 
He didn't experience death. We've been talking about death, but he didn't experience death as you and I think about physical death. He experienced, well, let's say it this way. Everybody around him experienced as if he had died because when we experience death, it's the loss of they're no longer with us. Hey, he didn't experience physical death. We're told that. Uh, Hebrews 11, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. And, and what we read earlier, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God because he had walked in faith. Listen, so he didn't experience what you and I think of death, but everybody around him experienced what we experience when someone dies. That he was gone. So, does anybody in our current day get to experience what Enoch experienced? To be taken up and not die? The answer? Maybe. Maybe. At some point, certainly that will be true. Because the scripture reveals, though we haven't seen it yet, the scripture reveals some believers in Jesus will not experience death. They will be caught up just like Enoch was. Where's that revealed? First Thess chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. What did I just read that? Did you go catch that? Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. Those who had died in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So when Christ returns in the clouds and the trumpet of God blows, those who are in Christ and have died, there will be a bodily resurrection. They will have already, in soul and spirit, been with the Lord. There will be a bodily resurrection. And those who are alive in that moment will be Enoch, called up and not die. So, will that be true for us? No clue. All depends when the Lord returns in the clouds. But he was unusual, but there will be many at some point in the future. Could be today. I know that sounds crazy. It could be today. That's a good reminder. It could be today. Uh, let's remember it happened to Enoch before he hit his midlife crisis. In other words, it happened long, long, long before he would have expected. Why would we think it wouldn't happen before we expected? So, it may. It could happen today, tomorrow, this week. That those who are alive when Christ comes in the cloud will not experience death. So it seems, now track with me here, it seems that there will be those who don't experience death 
and those who experience death. But the scripture says there is a, a second death, not just a first death, a second death. And that's found in Revelation chapter 20. The apostle John says, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, plural. If you've tracked, there's books, singular, and books, plural. And what's in the books, plural? According to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds, which are where? The books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. Pretty clear. A book and books. The book of life and books. What are in the books? All the deeds of your life. And I have books, all the deeds of my life. What are you going to get judged by? The book or the books? Well, the scripture is very clear. If you have trusted in Jesus, certainty of what you cannot see, if you have believed by his death, he has taken your penalty so that you who were far from God and guilty before God could be restored to God. That if you have trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection, then your name is in the book of life. Not the Bible. Your name is not in the Bible. It's, not, I'm just, it's, singular. it's in the book of life. And if your name is in the book of life, you will either never die because you'll be alive when Christ returns. Or you'll only die once. This physical body will die, but your souls, your spirit will never die. But if you have not trusted in Jesus and your name is not in the book of life, you are left to be judged according to your works, your deeds, what you have done. And what these books will reveal before God is that even if you tried to be good, you are not good enough before a holy God. The books will reveal the thoughts, the attitudes, the actions of your heart and your life that condemn you before a holy God. And because you will be judged according to your deeds, you will not only experience a physical death, you will experience a second death, an eternal punishment in the lake of fire where Satan and his demons and the false prophet will be in eternal torment forever. Now that's pretty sobering. I agree. Depends if you're judged according 
to the books, your deeds, or if you've trusted with certainty in that which has been revealed. See, it's faith in Jesus that puts your name in the book of life so that through faith in Jesus, you would never experience the second death. No believer in Jesus will experience the second death. That is the power of the gospel. This body, for a vast majority of people, only those who are alive when Christ returns, for this physical body, the, the scripture calls it a tent, it's going to fall down. This physical body is going to end. But your soul, your spirit, if you've trusted in Jesus, will not experience a second death because you will be with the Lord forever. And so, faith has a beginning. New life has a beginning. The book of life has a name written in it by faith. Has yours? I want to invite you, wherever you are right now, just to bow with me. And would you, by faith, a certainty by what has been revealed in the scripture, would you, by faith, admit that your deeds condemn you as guilty before a holy God? And would you, by faith, declare you believe that Jesus paid your penalty by his death on the cross? And that would you believe by faith and declare you believe God has raised him from the dead so that as he lives, you might have eternal life. And then would you, by faith, receive it as a gift that can't be earned or paid back, only received. Enoch was 65, and then he walked with God. I don't know how old you are right now, but I want to invite you right now to begin by faith, a walk with God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have promised that all who cry out to you will be saved, that whoever believes in you will be born again and will participate in eternal life. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus, that in your name, there is hope and life and victory. We love you. Let us worship him, Jesus, together. Your name, your name is victory. And all praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name. All praise will rise to Christ.
joyful declaration of the gospel is for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and so I want to invite you to if you have placed faith in Jesus engage in this week with the absolute joy and thrill of the Jesus has given you victory over death and victory over sin. You need not be a slave to sin and you need not fear death. And if you have not trusted in Jesus, I invite you, as Paul said, I beg you that you'd be reconciled to God. If you have questions about that, uh, we have a text number that you can text us your question about maybe what it means to trust in Jesus, how to begin that walk with Jesus. Or, or if you want to stay on for a few more minutes, we're going to take a 60 second break and then we're going to do a Q&A based on what we just talked about. And we'd love to answer any questions personally or privately, if you, if you want it private, just let us know. You can still text us. Text us. Uh, we would love to help you walk with God like Enoch walked with God. Thanks for joining us this morning. Stay on after 60-second break, and we'll continue. God bless. <laughs> 